so passing out notes. Um, I'll, uh, well, this isn't notes. I'll just share share this with you guys. So, um, obviously, that was a great intro he just gave. But uh, you know, for me, I, I didn't. Once I got saved, it wasn't like this wasn't a subject that I I ever studied. Um, I think I don't even know if I was even saved or if it was like. I think I don't even think I'll say, but I had read some of the book uh, called Left Behind when I was younger, and uh, or I watched the movie. I can't remember what it was, but something. And so that was about my only picture of the study of eschatology. Study of study of eschatology means study of end times. So if you hear that word, it's a fancy word for study of end times. And uh, but I never, um, I never studied it myself. I didn't really think much about it. I think probably after I got saved, the only end times thought I had was that there was going to be an end time revival because that was all I was ever kind of told. And um, that was about as far as it went. Uh, for me, didn't remember, like I said, didn't think on it very much. Uh, didn't listen to anybody on it. And uh, I, I just say I got ambushed over this subject. This wasn't something I went out looking for, um, trying to figure out or wanting to teach it or wanting to sound smart or any of that. Um, for me, I'll just give you, the, this is a, a really quick story I'll, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to speed through this. Um, but I go to a uh, event out in uh, in Texas, um, Sherman, Texas, like the armpit of the world, and I go to this this, this Christian event that's going on out there. And uh, on the ride home, I this is a longer story. I won't tell you what happened. God meets us basically on the in this car, and um, we met these two girls at a Arby's gas station mix and. In the gas station, these two girls start prophesying over everyone in the gas station. And we're there. People are falling out in the spirit. The cashier gets saved. Uh, they all walk out. They start prophesying over the cashier. They shut the entire restaurant down. It went for four and a half hours. It was unbelievable. And uh, it was a crazy story. And, we, and, I, and I, it, it, they were from Georgia. We were from Georgia. So we drove together back home. And every stop we stopped at, uh, the Lord would just come down and hit people. I, I, walked, I mean, we'd go in the gas station. So you start prophesying over the gas station attendant. And the person would crumble right behind the desk. It was a, it was a good day. And, um, and so I, I leave there. And uh, after we, we got back to Atlanta, and my, my pastor at the church I was a part of at the time, a uh, large church there, calls me on the phone. And uh, about something random, and I wound up telling him the story, what just happened with this girl that we met on this car. And he says, Jamie, he goes, would you come and share that at our church on Sunday morning? This is at Victor World Church, really large church. And so I was like, oh my gosh, you know, they had like, at that time they had like 6,000 members. I get up that Sunday morning and I share these stories of what happened over the weekend. And it, it just, the crowd was like, it just, it was just electric in the room as I was sharing it. And afterwards, this man comes up to me, and it's, uh, uh, some of you guys know Scott Keller. If you don't know Peter, where's Peter at? I know Peter's here. Where's he at? Peter, right here. It's his dad. And I didn't know him at the time. I never met Scott. And Scott was an, uh, an airline pilot. He still is an airline pilot for Delta. And uh, he came up to me after the service, and he says, hey, he goes, he goes, while you were sharing, he goes, I thought the Lord spoke to me. And he goes, what would you say if I sent you and any friend that you want to bring with you up to a conference in Kansas City? Have you ever heard of Mike Bickle? I was like, yeah. He goes, what would you say if I sent you and, and your, whoever friend you want up to Kansas City for free? I'll pay your airfare, your hotel, your food, everything. He goes, you could just go for free. What would you say? And I was like, well, I don't know, I need to pray about it. Yes. And, um, and so Mark, that's, yeah, it was me and Mark Bevel right here. There he is. And so he is in the back. I, I, yeah, so you, that conference, you and I go to it together. That's awesome, you're here. And, uh, and so he and I go, we were, play, we were college football players, and, and, uh, and so he and I go up to this conference in Kansas City, um, uh, and Mike Bickle's teaching it, 
And we get, now I'm, 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 I'm sovereignly aware that this is a God orchestrated thing for me to be at. Like I know this is the Lord, the Lord has set this thing up and I'm expecting that God's going to reveal things to my heart. You know, he's going to tell me I'm going to marry something. You know, something else is going to, I'm going to get some cool prophetic word. Well, I get there and I'm like, I didn't even know what conference it was. We actually showed up at the conference. We found out it's the end times conference. And I was like, do what? And I go in and Mike Bickle, the whole time he's breaking down Daniel chapter nine. And I'm just like, I, lit, I mean, I remember sitting there listening to him for like, we, we did it for a couple days and we had no clue what he was talking about. It was like, it was, I mean, it was just flying over our head. And I'm like, totally going like, what the heck is this? I didn't understand anything he said. I didn't catch any, I was trying to write notes. My notes didn't make sense. I mean, just everything. And I, by, the, by about day three or four, I'm frustrated and I just went and sat in the prayer room, and I'm just like questioning God. I'm like, why? I mean, it was so clear that I was supposed to be here, yet what he's saying doesn't make sense. And my view of end times was we're going to get out of here before anything bad happens, so why do we need me to look at it? And so I'm sitting in the prayer room. I'm upset. He's talking, I'm, like, I'm writing in my notes, like, God, I don't know what he's talking about. He's talking about Daniel chapter 9. Oh, I don't even understand that. And, and why am I even here? And, 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 and I just kind of let it go. Come back to Atlanta. Well, it was about a month later. And this is a story within a longer story, so I won't, I won't share the longer story. Um, I have the most dramatic encounter in my entire life. It's July 12th of 2004, and I'm, uh, I have, I'm in a dream, and I'm at my church, and I'm on the east wing. I'm coming off an elevator, and I walk through a crowd of people, and uh, there's a man to the left side of the, uh, of the crowd standing over there near the water fountain, and he's talking to the crowd. But as he's talking to the crowd, he's not, he's not shouting but his, he's talking normal, but the volume on his voice was so loud that it was shaking the building as, he, as I walked through. And I, and I got halfway through, and he says, he goes, he goes you, like that. And it, and it startled me, and I look at this man, and he says, you are a gatekeeper. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and he says, he, says, he says, and the Lord is going to show you this through Daniel chapter 9 <laughs> and Acts chapter 2. And at the moment, I was, I was like, man, I probably should have paid attention. Um, but at the moment, I was, and I just in the moment, I just go, I go, I agree with you, and I was turning to walk away from him, and I and I get about halfway away from him, I'm walking into the sanctuary, and from behind me, he says with this thunderous voice, and it, the whole building shake, the, the 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 glass windows shake. He goes, but first you must see it, just like that. And when he said it, he goes, see it, and I remember watching the panes on the glass shake when he says it, and it was so loud. And he goes, he said, you must see it, that it shook me right out of my dream. I was actually, um, I don't know. If, I don't, you know, I've never had this happen before. I was in this dream, and he goes, you must see it. And it's, it, it wasn't this, but it was like when it, when it woke me up, it was like he said, you must see it. And I shake awake, and I hear, see it, see it, see it. It's that kind of a thing. It was so loud that it actually pulled me out of a dream. And it startles me awake. It's, in the, it's dark in my room. It's still dark outside. It was, it was actually around 5.30 in the morning, and I'm, and I'm suddenly awake, and I'm laying on my bed. I'm watching my fan go around. I'm in my, my, my parents' house. At the time, I was 23, and I watched as my fan goes around, and I'm just, and I'm startled. I'm just, I'm suddenly awakened. I don't have any, and it was an interesting thing, because I didn't have any of that sleepy residue on me. It was like I'd been fully awake, which is not like me. In the morning, I mean, I'm kind of like, oh, you know, coffee, throw it in my face, you know, walk around. This was like, I was fully awake, and I'm, but I'm confused. I'm like, what's going on? And then right then, in my room, out loud, not a vision, not a mind's eye thing, not a not a spiritual woo-hoo, I'm talking about out loud, literally, like in the physical room, I hear singing break into my room. And I peed myself. No, I'm joking. But 
I hear music, like like song, like a chorus of a like a, a choir singing. It was it was interesting, and I'm sitting there, and I am like, I, I don't know if you've ever been scared. Like in the movies, when people are scared, they're always like, ah. But you know, when you're really scared, you kind of do the more like a moan. You do the, uh, I'm doing that. I'm going, uh, and I'm just looking at my fan. I hear singing in my room. And I'm like, uh, you know, this is before the days of Alexa and iPods. You know, it wasn't like something just went off. This is like out of nothing. All of a sudden, a choir singing in my room, and uh, I can't make out any of the language that they're singing. And I just hear this, and I'm just kind of—I feel like I'm sinking in my bed. And I just—I remember I was sitting there, and just this—this this, all of a sudden, this presence. And it was the Lord, or and I, of course, at the moment you're not thinking clear. You know what I'm saying? Like you're not like, oh, kumbaya. Hallelujah. I'm just thinking like, oh, I can get out of here. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And I, I feel this presence just come near me. And all the hairs on my, on my like back of my neck, you know. Uh, I was going to say back, but I don't have back hair. Anyway, um, you know, I feel it just kind of stand up. And I'm like, and I freeze. And, I, and all of a sudden, it gets stronger and stronger. And the singing gets louder. And then right then, I'm like, ah. And over the, the left side of my, uh, my bedroom, I have a window. It's actually about that size of that window over there, if you can kind of picture it, but I was a little closer. I see a flash, like uh, somebody had taken a picture. And uh, so it catches my eye. And I look over. And then right then, I see it go flash, 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 flash. And just like, just like multiple pictures are going off right there around the window. And then right then, the window completely goes bright. So the whole room gets lit up with light. Like it just goes like it's daylight inside my room. And right then, I watch with my eyes, like not a mind's eye thing. I don't, with my physical eyes, I watch as an angel comes right through my window. And he comes and he lands right over the edge of my bed. At the, edge of, at the edge of my bed. And he's standing there staring at me. And I'm like, Aah! it was horrifying. <coughs> now I know what you would have done, you know. I always kind of thought, you know, if, if something like that ever happened to me, I'd be like, bump the double portion. Give me the triple. What up? But in the moment, I'm terrified. And I remember the only cognitive thought I could think was, I'm dead, I died, I'm dead, I'm died, I'm dead, I'm died, I'm dead, I'm died. And I thought he was here to get me and take me, you know, I don't know, the stories you hear, they go through the tunnel or something. And I'm just sitting there, and, he, and I hear the singing, and this man is standing over the edge of my bed, and he's, but he's clearly not just a man. He is a glowing being who I can somewhat see through, and I see a blue f glow coming off of him. If you always ask me, like, what do he look like? But I, I, honestly, I didn't get like a great description of him. I was so scared, I was going, ah, 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 just like that, you know? And so I don't know how much detail you get, you know, going, ah, ah, you know, I wasn't like, he had flowing blonde hair. A sword protruding from his right hand side. I didn't get all that information. But I, I see him, and, he's, and he, I see, like, looks like uh, lightning, like little streaks of, of electricity running all through his body. And, uh, and anyway, then, 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 then he leaves. He actually goes right out of my second window, right above my lamp. It doesn't break the window. It just goes right out that, that way. And uh, there's a longer story that happens after this. I won't go into all the details there. But the Lord used this encounter to confirm the, 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 uh, the, the, the dream that was given to me about uh, Daniel chapter 9 and, and God raising up gatekeepers in our city. And so that was actually my first time. And I remember after I came to us, when I came around, I was like, I, I don't even know this. I went and actually read Daniel chapter 9 for the first time. And I start reading about the, uh, 
the 70-week prophecy about the, the, the rise of what we call the Antichrist, the second coming of Christ. There's about an end time, an eschatological prophecy. I'm, and I'm reading it, and I don't understand any of them. I'm like, why, why would the Lord share with this to me? And then I remembered, man, I was just at a conference where they were teaching on this. I should have paid attention. When the Lord had grace over me and, and over the years since, he has helped me to get, get my mind a little bit around this and start to, start to actually be able to uh, understand it. And so, um, so what I want to do tonight is I just want to, I want to just take a step. And, and as Casey said, guys, there's lots, of, there's lots of people with lots of opinions about end times, and there's lots of people that are really smart, and, and we value that. And, we, and there's other positions. I want to just say this real clearly. You do not have to take what I say and just believe it because I said it. And just because I had an angel doesn't mean I'm right. Okay? And you need to know that because you don't want to get stuck in this place where you only believe what your pastor's told you. Because you, you, whatever, if I can talk you into something, then someone else can talk you out of it. But if you see it for yourself in the Word of God, then it becomes like cement. You know, it, it'll, it become, it'll become fortified in your spirit. So you don't have to just hear what I say. I, I want to encourage you to challenge what I say and challenge what we say. In other words, if you don't see it in the Word of God, you can challenge it. I mean, obviously do it in a a good way, you know, you know, not, not like tackling, you know, live, um, but, you know, at, we're going to have times of Q&A or times afterwards you want to, you want to talk about this or you have different thoughts and that's okay, you know, be a Berean and study these things out, challenge it, um, look into it for yourself, take these notes that we're saying and just because it may be new information, that doesn't make it wrong, so don't just dismiss it, but at the same time, um, you know, you can weigh these things out. Sometimes what I find is even if, Sometimes just getting a position on something is helpful. If you, get, if you have a little bit, then it's like you can find your own information because you know somewhere where to start. Most people don't read, understand uh, the Bible, but even in times, in times or the Bible, because they just don't know where to start. They don't have a system even, to even understand how to go about it. But if you just get a little bit, more will be given to you. All right, so... Why? So the notes here we got. I've got. Uh, we have two things. We have a glossary of terms, and this the glossary of terms will be something we can use. You guys can use for the weeks ahead. There will be terms that we will be saying, or I'll be saying, and sometimes I'll just say them really quickly, and you'll be like, "I have no idea what that's even about." So we gave you a glossary of terms so that you can go back and read that on your own, because I won't be able to sit there and pause for every single thing. So that's something for your own study. Um, if you leave it in your seat, I will find you, and there will be a test. Okay. Um, as far as going back to the notes, we'll go back to the notes. For some reason, I had uh, my, what do you call it, the indention? There, this was, it had indentions on it when I, when I did it. But somehow between my computer and the printer, it's all now in one straight line. So it's a little hard to kind of see. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the, the Roman numerals and the letters. They were kind of like indented to make it a little easier to, to read. All right, but the first one we're talking about is why study eschatology? Why study the subject of end times? Um, under A, I'm just going to read this real quick. So the subject of eschatology is ignored by so many in the church. Many pastors and leaders never speak on it. Many have not re researched it enough to feel comfortable communicating on it. Others fear the consequences of the division that, will, that the differences in theological positions can cause. Yet many others simply do not realize how integral the subject is to the scriptures and the biblical narrative. So why do we study it? I'm going to give you number one, one, the number one reason we study it. The reason, number one is this, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you guys know the story, John is on the island of Patmos. Um, man, we got the rain in the background, it's like smooth, soothing. All right, here we go. Um, John's on the island of Patmos, and he, uh, he has the encounter where, where Jesus comes to him. And he actually opens the book up, and he says, Revelation 1-1, he says, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, 
And the, and the story he's about to unfold is God's great plan of culminating the ages. Now, let me just throw this out to you. When we study in times, we're studying a massive part of who Jesus is. So, in other words, say it differently. If we don't study in times, we're missing a massive part of who he is. I've used this example in the past, but a lot of you guys are new, so I'll say it again. Imagine you're, uh, you, you're, you're, you know, you're a girl, okay? Guys, go with me here. And you're married to a, uh, a, a cop. And I grant, I know girl, girls can be cops too, but just, I, I, I had to pick a sex. Here we go. So, you're married to a cop, all right? And the cop is a, a, you got married, and he is such a sweet husband to you. I mean, he absolutely comes to you weekly, and he's telling you sweet things about how much he loves you and cares about you. He takes you on romantic dates. He gets you cards. He, he leaves a little thing, little, you know, trinkets, trick, what, how do you say that word? The trinkets? Trinkets? Yeah, whatever. Crickets. Okay. Leaves little things for you in different places. He's, he, he texts you sweet things throughout the day. He gets you your favorite chocolate. You know, he, he is the ultimate, you know, romancer of your heart. And, uh, he, you know, you love that about him. And he genuinely cares about you. And, and so that's, that's who you've fallen in love with. And you said yes, and you got married. And then imagine uh, there's a day ahead when he is talking to you and you, you're, maybe you want, he's, you're wanting to go on a nice, sweet date with him. And he goes, he goes, he goes, hey, babe, he goes, tonight, he goes, he goes I actually just want to share something with you that's, that's important to my heart that uh, I haven't really told you much about, much about. And she goes, well, yeah, what is it, babe? And he says, I want to tell you a little bit about what I do for, for, for my career and what's my passion in my, in, in my career. She, he goes, he goes, I, uh, he goes, I, he goes, the main thing that I'm responsible for doing is to go in and I bust up human trafficking rings. He goes, he goes, and he goes, he goes, I have such vengeance related to these little girls and these little boys that are abused. He goes, he goes, and we take our teams and we bust right in the doors. And he starts to start to go into detail about what happens when, when they bust through those doors. And all of a sudden she goes, whoa, 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 She goes, that, she goes, babe, she goes, she goes, oh, that's, this is a little intense. This is a little scary for me. Um, I don't know if I'm quite ready to hear this. She goes, can we, can we just do like the coffee and the, and the, and the donuts and the, and the chocolate? And can we just do that for a little bit longer? I would imagine that he would feel a little bit like you're, there's a part, massive part of my heart you don't want to know about. And there's a massive, and, and, and rightfully, as, 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 a, as a good wife, you would want to really know your husband at all levels, Right? And so in the same way, when we're studying the subject of end times, we are absolutely getting to know a, a massive part of who God is, how he leads the earth. How it, and what you're going to find is this. Is, this is what's so fascinating. When you see the subject, how God's going to culminate the ages, it helps you actually to pinpoint and realize how he actually deals with you on the minute level. In other words, what he does on the, on the macro level, you get to see how he does on the micro level. And, um, and so it's, it's about the revelation of who he is. And it's about the way he leads in the earth. And number two, I said, I said it, that studying in times, well, it says it will make your Bible make sense. <laughs> there are over 150 chapters in the Bible related to the study of eschatology. Uh, let me say it again. 150 chapters. Now, some of you guys are like, man, I never even look at it. I've never even studied I never even read about it. But there are 150 chapters. It'd be like, it'd be, if, to say that, hey, I don't need to study this, I don't need to look at it, it would be like, imagine if you took 150 chapters and you just ripped them out. You're like, yeah, not important. It's for the smart guys to figure it out and fight about. 
if you say, if you could line up 150 chapters in a row, like if you had them all in, in, in order, that would be like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Ephesians, Colossians, and Galatians. And if you just took them, you ripped them all out of your Bible, and you're like, eh, not that important. Like how weak would our faith be if we lost those chapters, those books? Well, that's the Gospels. They'd be gone. And so God gave us a ton of information in the scriptures about this subject because he wants us to study it. He wants us to look at it. It's not just for the people living at the very, very end of the end, right before Jesus returned, and they're supposed to crack it open and go, okay, what are we supposed to do? Do we, you know, do, do we, do we uh, store food or not? You know, that's not why he, he gave this information. It was for every generation. In fact, you will find that the, the, the apostles, man, the apostles, they just, they lived and breathed and talked as... Uh, through the lens of eschatology all the time. In fact, this is how Paul and this different, different ones, how they actually um, uh, did pastoral counsel. I mean, he would look in, 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 uh, in Corinthians, he goes, he, goes, he goes, now why are you taking your brother to court? He goes, he goes, he goes why don't you just rather be wronged? Don't you guys know we're going to judge angels? And you can see everybody else in Corinth going, where'd he pull that one out of his hat? What does that have to do with anything he just said? You know what I mean? Like, Paul would just, he would use the end times picture of something we would do and bring it right into a pastoral conversation. This is how P uh, Paul did funerals. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral like this. He goes, listen, I don't want you guys to sorrow as those who have no hope. He says, for when Jesus returns at the sound of the trumpet, he'll bring with those who sleep in Jesus. And those who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds with him in the air. He goes, thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort each other with this words. And he was talking about those who had fallen asleep, those who had died in the Lord. He says, listen, I don't want you guys, don't sorrow. He goes, quit crying. Imagine that. He's like, he's like at the funeral. He's like opening the casket. He's like, you see this body? Quit your crying. It's going to get back up in just a minute. We'll be gone for, I mean, apart for just a second. Because when Jesus comes back, this body's going to get up out of the ground. We're always going to be together. Now, suck it up, all right? That's, that's how he did funerals. I've never seen anybody do that, you know? What do we tell everybody? We always tell them at funerals, well, he's gone to a better place. The guy could have been Hitler. We're like, he's in a better place. Like, nobody's in hell. He's in, I mean, you're just like... <laughs> I'm just going to stop there and tap dance on that one. Um, 150 chapters. Number three, it's the foundation of the faith. Listen to this. Do you know that, <laughs> this is interesting. Um, uh, Hebrews 5, in Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 6, uh, the writer of Hebrews, he actually said, he goes, he goes, he goes, I wish some of you were teachers. He goes, but I'm seeing you need to be taught again. He goes, he goes, I'd like to be able to give you some, uh, uh, some meat of the word, but it looks like you still need milk. He goes, therefore, he goes, let's leave the elementary principles of Christ, not laying again the foundations of the faith, and let's press on. He goes, not laying again, he goes, and he actually says, he goes, he goes not laying again these foundational works, and he actually says, and he, then he lists six elementary principles of Christ, which he calls the milk of the word, the, 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 the there's for babies, and he lists six different things that are, uh, that are those principles, like doctrines of baptisms, and, and uh, different kinds of tongues, and, and repentance from dead works, and his last two, he says, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of the eternal judgment, he lists two of the six elementary milk baby level Christian principles that we're supposed to learn as Christians, and he says two of those six relate to the end of the age. In other words, this subject is for babies. 
It's not for just people that are growing up and notice. In fact, listen to this. Uh, in the book of Acts, um, Paul, he goes to the church of Thessalonica. Now, this, he gets there, and the first thing he always did is he went into a synagogue and he preached the gospel. And then some of the Jews would get saved, or different, then he would go and preach to the Gentiles, and they would get saved. And, and in Acts 17, it says that Paul shows up to Thessalonica and he preaches for three Sabbaths. I mean, how long is three Sabbaths? Three weeks. And then what happens? We read the story that persecution arises and he has to flee. And in three weeks, he starts a brand new church. Think about this. Shows up, all right? Only he's got three weeks. And he gets a few converts. And he actually says he starts this little church of believers, those converted to Christ. And then all of a sudden, persecution arises and he has to flee. And so he doesn't get to pastor them and help them grow. And so he's away, and he's like, man, I've got to take care of this little church that just got birthed that's only three weeks old in the faith. And he goes, he says, I'll write him a letter. So he writes them a, a letter. Do you want to take a guess what that letter was called? First Thessalonians. Right. And so he writes this whole letter to them, and then evidently they write him a letter back, and they were like, please give us some more information, explain some things. And so he writes them a second letter, and that letter was called, so that's good, Bible students, you're awesome. And here's the thing. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says this. He says, now concerning the coming of the Lord and the gathering together to him, he goes, we ask you not be soon shaken in either by word or by letter or by spirit as though the day of Christ has already come. He says, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. He says, and the man of sin is revealed who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God so that he sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. And he says this, don't you remember that when I was with you, I told you all these things? How long was he with him? Pause. If you were going to go to like, I don't know, some tribe out in the middle of nowhere and try to birth a church and you've only got three weeks to do it. So think about it. You go to the, you get to the island, you get them, you preach the gospel, a bunch of them get saved. Now you've got them all here and you've got, you're like, I got three weeks. I better put together a pastoral team. Uh, you're the pastor. What's your qualification? You're tall. I mean, well, I don't know. How, I mean, how do you, how do you pick? They're all, they're all babies in Christ. They're all, all of them are three weeks old in the Lord. But he gets a little team together, and then you get persecution rising. You have to flee, and you write him two letters, and then you come back, and, and, and the question is, what did you teach him on? He goes, and this is what he taught three-week-old, three-week-old baby Christians. He taught them about the coming of the Lord, the gathering together to him, the, uh, the, the great falling away, the coming of the Antichrist. And then he says, he says and the, what we call the abomination of desolation, where it says that he'll sit in the temple of God and show himself that he is God. He says, don't you remember that when I was with you, I taught you about all these things? What would you teach a brand new church? My point is this. This is supposed to be for our beginner's class in Christianity. I'm not saying that to shame anybody. I'm saying this to say it's important, and it's not just something that we just put out there and just say it's not an important subject. This is to anchor us. It's like, it's like when you know the end of the story, then you can appreciate the story. How many of you guys ever watched like a good mystery movie, and it's just got all these twists and turns and everything, and the end of it, you're like, that was awesome. I don't read I don't get it. But you have to go back and you watch it a second time, then everything they do, you go, oh, that's why they did that. Oh, that's why that person was acting that way. And it makes sense because you understand the end. Most of us, you know, don't watch this movie, but there was a movie that came out a long time ago called Titanic. Um, but imagine if, you, if you'd gone to see the movie Titanic, which you shouldn't have, it's got nudity. Okay, anyway, but you're there. I know some unbelievers that went. And... Sorry, I saw it on high school. So, 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 so you're there. Imagine all, before the boat sank. All right, 
it's uh, I can't remember Jack and Jill, whatever the person's name was. So they're on this, they're having a love story, and all of a sudden, and this boat hasn't hit the iceberg. Nothing's happened. Okay, they're just on the boat, and they fall in love, or they're running around, whatever. And then all of a sudden, before any of that happens, the movie, the screen goes dark, and the credits start going, and the movie's over, and you're going. Kind of feel like I missed something. Kind of feels a little hollow. All right, let's go. You know, you would walk out of the movie going, that was not a very good movie. I don't understand what we were watching about. This is the Titanic, right? Um, and that's kind of how we've done with the gospel. We've told everybody the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we've ended it there. We haven't talked about the coming kingdom. And we're not talking about how the, there is a boat that's going to sink, and there's also going to be a new boat. The kingdom of heaven is going to rise out of this thing. There's going to be a, a restoration of all things and the coming of Christ. And this was the great hope that was given to the early church. Under number Roman, Roman numeral two, it said, will the church be here? A, many people in the West believe that the church will escape the great tribulation. They'll be swept away to heaven prior, uh, before the coming of the Antichrist in the great tribulation. This view is called the pre-tribulation rapture and has been one of the most popular teachings on eschatology in the West for the past 200 years. Those who hold this belief, belief, I'm supposed to say that, uh, that Christ will appear without, uh, without, uh, without any, supposed to be any sign or warning, or rapture. Listen, if you're a, uh, a grammar person here, forgive me. I just did this and didn't actually look over this. And if you're awesome at grammar, I will send you my notes each week and you can kill them for me before I put these out. All right. In other words, I'll just say this. There, there's a, the position is there, there's this belief that God is going to uh, take the church away before the time of trouble at the end of the age. And this is a popular belief that's in, in the church today. Um, I will say this, that doctrine has only been around for about 200 years. If you read the, the writings of the early church and the early church fathers, guys like Irenaeus and Barnabas and Justin Martyr and all the different ones that came as, that were, that were disciples of the apostles, and for the first 300 years, you will find that they all held to the same belief, belief about end times. And they all say that this was what was directly handed down from them, from the apostles and from Jesus. And it was the belief in a post-tribulational coming of Christ. They actually were called Chilius. They were, they believed in a, it, it, the modern term, we would call it uh, uh, post-millennial, I'm sorry, pre-millennial post-tribulationalism. Um, later on, there were other views, views like post-millennialism and, and amillennialism came out, came around 300 AD. But for that first 20 years, you'll find there was a consistency related to the, this belief system that Jesus would come back for the church at the end of the great tribulation. That there would be a time at the end of, the, of, of this age when there would be great persecution and great trouble and the judgments of God would be hitting on the earth and the church would actually be here in the midst of it and would actually go through the tribulation and they would receive the Lord and the second coming in what we call Matthew 24, 29. It says immediately after, everybody say after. The tribulation, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give us light. The stars will fall from the heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of the trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Oh, I, I, I wanted to mention this last, this last point about why we study eschatology. Sorry, before I move on. Um, when I talk about the, the Bible making sense, guys, listen, if we get, if you'll get, get your heart around this, you will find that those entire books of the Old Testament that are completely like your pages are still stuck together, you know those ones I'm talking about? That when you open up, you're like, I have no idea. Have you ever done that? You ever just like open up some random place in Isaiah and you're like, 
Go into Proverbs. Right? You ever heard anybody preach on Habakkuk? Habakkuk. Right? Well, the reason why those, those didn't make much sense to you is you didn't realize that most, a lot of these were prophecies about the end of the age. And when you start understanding this, that some of this stuff was prophecies about a future reality related to the nation of Israel and to the nations of the earth, you're, you can then appreciate and understand where this thing is going. But it will also clear up so much confusion. I remember when I was in, when I was in, um, uh, in my youth group, we used to sing songs. I remember we used to sing the song. Um, it was from Joel chapter 2 about the Joel's army, the, the army there in, in, in Joel chapter 2. And we'd say, you know, they run on the city, they run on the walls. And we'd say, great is the army who carries that word. And we would say, blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. And we would sing the song. And dude, we would have a dance party. We would just be going for it. <laughs> and then you start, I started studying this stuff and got my, my mind a little bit around what the scriptures talk about. In Joel chapter 2, that's not talking about the church. It's talking about the Antichrist army coming to war against Israel at the end of the age. We were singing about it as though it was us. Blow the trumpet inside. We were going for it. How about, uh, there was a song, I won't say who wrote the song, but there was a song that used to come out. It was, it was say, let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor say I'm rich. We would sing the song over and over again. And let the weak say I'm strong. Well, where does that come from? That's actually a direct quote out of um, Joel chapter three. But in context, in context, it's about, uh, the Lord at the end of the age at the battle of Armageddon gives an angelic call to the pagan nations of the earth to take their farming equipment that, because there's not enough ammo left anywhere and take it and beat their farming equipment into swords and come and fight Jesus at the second coming. He's actually taunting the nation. He says, let your weak ones say they're strong come and fight. We were singing those about us. How about this one? This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Right? Da, 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 right. We sing all the time. And everybody, what does that mean? Everybody's like, I don't know. Be happy for today. It's a good day. It's about the battle of Armageddon. Psalms 118 is about when the nations surround Jerusalem. And it says that God will send his Savior to deliver them and fight in the name of the Lord his God. It's a, it's a messianic prophecy that all the nation of Israel has promised. That when, they, when, the, when Israel cries out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then God says, he said, for this is the day that my God has made. Jesus saying this, this is the day that my God has made. I will be glad and rejoicing as he goes into war to def defeat those nations. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's about the battle of Armageddon, I'm shaking. Um, <laughs> I won't be able to get through all these notes, obviously, but so I've just, just given this for you guys to study. Um, why don't you go to page two. <clears throat> Knowing the signs, Roman number three. And under A, I say that said many people use the phrase, uh, supposed to be no one, not no. Golly, I am. You know, when you're reading your own stuff, you don't even see your own errors. Hey, Casey, I need to get a, a typo person that helps me out here. No one knows the day or the hour of his return. So, so many people use that as an excuse to not think about the approaching crisis. However, Jesus told his followers to look for signs and seasons to know his coming is near. 
Jesus wants his people to watch for seasons of his return so that we can be prepared. And I give a couple of verses here where Jesus specifically told us in related to the end of the age for us to actually look for the signs of his coming. Let me, I want to just talk about these for just a second. Somebody kind of goes, well, how do we know we're even close to the end of the age? My, I'm, not, I'm not here to say that I know that we are or we're not, but I will say this. Jesus said, he said, there will be clear signs. Matthew 24, the disciples, they come to him on the Mount of Olives and they say, they, can say, they go, hey, Jesus, tell us, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So there's two questions. He goes, when, when, is, when, when is this time for your coming? When is this whole thing going to culminate? And he gives several signs and he talks a little bit about the, the near destruction that would take place in 70 AD, which is right around the corner. But then he gives information that goes far beyond uh, that, that, that near destruction. And, if, and, and we also know this by reading even the, the writings of the early church. They believe this exact same thing, that he was giving a prophecy that would go further beyond even to the end of the age. And he says specifically this in Matthew 24, he actually starts off and they say, what will be the sign of your coming? And then he gives them all these signs. He says, listen, he goes, he goes, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. Which That's the first thing out of Jesus' mouth. You know, imagine this. You, if you had the son of God standing for it and you go, what will be the sign of your coming? Whatever he says first is probably important. Like, he's probably not going to give like, ah, you know, some little like, you know, answer that has no meaning. He, he gives this, the first thing I read, he said, let no one deceive you. Which says to me that there is going to be an abundance of what? deception at the end of the age. Which, I'm going to tell you something, guys. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. If you love Jesus and you have a little bit of truth in you, if you just look around, that's going on like full on headlong right now. Listen to, I'll just say it this way. Uh, it says in 2 Thessalonians, it says that there's going to be coming a great falling away of the faith. Paul, Jesus said that the love of many would grow cold. Paul talked about in the last days that there would be, uh, uh, many would turn from the truth. And, um, and, it, there, we have never been in a, in a time in history where we have watched entire denominations in Christ are absolutely abandoning the faith right now. It's happening like yearly. Like, I mean, it's like we're watching entire denominations that were once going for Jesus are now turning their back and they're worshiping some other type of God. And you're seeing it over the same type of issue. You're seeing it related to the issue of homosexuality. And, there, and that, that one, that one linchpin is causing people to actually then begin to uh, uh, lower their view on the scriptures and what the Bible says, which then they have to lower their view on all the verses of judgment related to the scriptures. And then you watch, you can start a timer. If they buy into that doctrine, start the timer, and it's a minute before they'll be a universalist. And they believe that all paths lead to God. It's, it's inevitable. If anyone thinks it through, it's where it goes. And then you watch. As soon as they go to that route, give them just a little more time and you'll watch they'll be in full-blown atheism. I've got so many friends that did that route and that's where they're standing today. And they're, they're falling away from the faith over these, so, uh, these social issues that are taking place. That if you read the scriptures for what they say, there's no way, there's, there's no way you can make it say that. And it's, it's, what's, it's what Jesus said, I mean, what Paul said. He says they fall away because they refuse to receive the love of the truth. They don't want the truth. Anyway, Jesus says there's going to be deception. Then he says this. He says, he says now, he says, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, right? He says nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. He's talking about racial wars breaking forth. And he says there's going to be a shaking that's going to take place. And he, and he gives these things. He says there's going to be uh, earthquakes and uh, he goes, and different seismic activities in, in various places. And I love it. Then he says, he says in Matthew 24, he says, he goes, now see to it, you're not troubled. You're like, Okay. It's like, you know, the Lord's like, there's going to be death and all oh, you're going to die. Now, don't panic. Just try not to be too anxious. You're like, ah, you know, but it, what he means is this. He goes, listen, he says, this is going to be a challenge. I'm telling you beforehand so that you get a history in God and a history in me. He goes, it goes in the days ahead leading up to this. So when the shakings are taking place, you have perspective and you've got something to say and you don't love your lives even to the death. 
Anyway, so he said there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is saying these are signs related to the end of the age. In other words, these are things that we should be able to look at and be able to tell if this is happening in an increasing way related to the rest of humanity, the rest of history. In other words, in other words this can't be something that's like slowly been like going up for the past 6,000 years, you know? And, and there's no way to look at that and see objectively and go, I think we're in the end of the age. Because it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a unique sign related to the rest of human history. Does that make sense? And I want you guys to just take that, those two for example. Oh, let's take this one. Let's take the issue of warfare. Warfare. So back in the day, um, you had uh, uh, water, read, like, just, just an ancient warfare. You would have people around, there were hundreds to thousands of people would die in wars. That was kind of the, the, the way it went. And they did, you know, and then eventually you saw it begin to build up over the years. And the time you get to, to David's time, Solomon's time, you see tens of thousands, 20,000 dying in wars. And um, it wasn't really until the Persians and the Babylonians came along that you started seeing hundreds of thousands of people dying in warfare. And so I want you to think from Adam, from, from the garden, from the beginning of history, all the way up, and listen to this, all the way until the 19th, to the 20th century, most warfares were 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, and there was a few that hit a couple hundred thousand. And that's how it was throughout history. Jesus said, he said, one of the signs is the increasing of warfare, bloodshed. Now think about this. From history, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 was the averages in most wars with a couple hundred thousand intermixed here and there. And then you get to the 20th century when you got to World War I and 14 million people died. Followed up by World War II where 55 million people died. Now, you and I, we've kind of lived our whole life understanding that. If you were to step back and look at that from the scale of human history, it would, if you could chart it, it would look like a flat line all the way until you hit the 20th century and then it shot and went straight up in comparison. And that's not including the, the, the you know, Rwandas and, and the, the different genocides, the Cultural Revolution in China where 50 million people died. Like none of the Vietnam, we're not including any of those wars in, in that, that number. It would literally look like a flatline. And part of that was because of the issue of technology that for the first time was allowed to be able to have mass deaths at the push of a button, which was never, never, never you were never, ever have, never able to have that before. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse uh, uh, f- uh, 4, he says, go your way, Daniel. He goes, for the books are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. He said, for many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. He actually gives two signs related to the end of the age. Now, there's different ways people interpret that, but I'm going to give you one, the two ways. Is that at the end of the age, there's going to be the increase of knowledge and the increase of travel, running to and fro. Now, let's just back up. Let's just talk about travel real quick, okay? Let's back up there. You guys remember, how did people get around from Adam and Eve until the 20th century? Walking. You guys remember walking? No, exactly. You're all like, walking, I don't do that. But anyway, they walked for 6,000 years. And then at some point that during the time, somebody saw a horse and they were like, hey. And they were like, all right. And they started riding a horse. You know, then somebody saw a wheel and they got a bunch of horses together and they, they did some, you know, horse and buggy kind of thing. And it really, it was in the 1800s they invented the train. But I mean, before that, the primary way that people traveled was walking and horse and buggy. 6,000 years, we get to the 20th century, and we went to the moon. And we just sent a, a, a satellite into the sun, just because. And we have the Voyager, which is outside of our solar system right now, just because, right? 
we can pl- fly anywhere in a day. The issue of travel, if you could flatline it, it would, on, the, on the scale, it would look like a flat line for 6,000 years and then went off the scale in the last century. Jesus said, got, and Daniel said, he said, he said it would be the issue, uh, the increase of travel. He says, and the is- increase of knowledge. Back in the day, if you wanted to know something, if you wanted to know something, right, you had to find the guy who knew it and ask him. There would be, you had, that's why you see the picture of like somebody climbing a high mountain. There's some dude up there, Indian style, you know what I'm saying? He comes up to you, he's like, what should I give you? And you're like, I need wisdom. And the guy gives you some wisdom nugget. Well, that's because that was, that was how people got information. Eventually, uh, or you had to find the guy who wrote the book. You got to find that book that has that information. But there could be information that you search, searched your entire life and died trying to find a certain piece of information. You died, handed that quest off to your kids. They lived their entire life and they die in quest of that knowledge. And they hand it off to their kids and their, great, and their grandkids and their great-grandkids searching for that information and they never find it out. And then you and I come along, you know, just a couple years later and we're like, hey, Google, you know, what holds us down to the planet? It's like gravity. You're like, ah, there it is. It's the increase of knowledge. If you could scale it, up, I mean, really, to the, the Gutenberg Press came out in the 1500s, and then after that, eventually books started becoming a little more popular. But, but really, it was like a flat line to the 20th century, and we went off the charts with the advent of the internet and the mass uh, information that's out there for us. And these are just some of the signs we can look at and we can actually observably look back and go, these signs are happening in a way that's been, that's completely different than any other point in human history. So I got to end. I've given you guys in these notes, um, I get uh, 10 negative aspects related to the end of the age. I've given you 10 positive things that are going to take place. Not all bad. There is some bad stuff going to come down, and we're going to be talking about that in the weeks ahead. But there is some really good things that God's going to do. This is not an hour that you want to miss. This is going to be the greatest hour in the, in the history of the church. Acts 2 is the time when sons and daughters are going to prophesy. God will show signs in the heavens and wonders of the earth. It's the time Micah says that God will show signs and wonders again like he did in the days of Egypt. The, the great harvest, uh, the greatest revival that's ever going to take place in the earth will take place at the end of the age, Revelation 7 speaks of. And... So we want to be here for this, and we want to be uh, uh, in the game when this, when this all takes place. And then I give 10, 10 things for you guys how we prepare our heart in, in, in light of this coming up. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take the next several weeks, and we're going to have some Q&A time as well for you guys. I want you to understand this. The goal is not for you guys just to hear this. I want you to come away and actually understand what you're hearing. And so um, this will be a good step one in that journey. Amen? All right, good. Let me pray for you guys and we'll, get, we'll, we'll just dismiss because I, I went over. All right. Father, we just come before you, God, and we just ask, Father, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, like you put on Daniel, as you said in Daniel eleven thirty three, 33, that in the last days, God, that, that, that those men, of, or men and women of understanding would lead many. I ask, God, that you would give us the grace to be a, a people of understanding, bright, shining lamps. Lord, not just with academic zeal, but I'm asking God with that devotional heart as well that is connected to you and understands what you're doing, Lord. We would have, we would have perspective in the hour of great sh- shaking. Lord, you said in, in Hebrews and in Habakkuk that you're gonna shake everything that can be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken will remain. I ask God that you would loose our hands from everything, Father, that we're clinging to that's not gonna stand the great shaking. And we would anchor to you. I ask God that you would break fear 
off of this subject for those that are struggling with fear or not wanting to know. I ask God that you would let us see you as the great husband that loves us and has, has a, a great plan for our life and understands our weak frame and yet wants us to be invited into the, 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 the treasures of your heart. And I ask God that you would just break off the fog and any kind, of, any kind of doubt, Lord, that if anyone would be going through that believing they can't understand this, I ask God that you would, Lord, you wrote the scriptures, Lord, for the, for the most simple of the earth to understand. And that's us. And Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. amen.